when you, if you don't want to hit something, don't look at it. I picture like that darkness as the trees and they're around us. And if you focus on it, you will hit it and you will be there. And when I think about that, it helps me. Hey guys, welcome to another episode of Unbeatable. I'm Jeff Struker, and this podcast introduces you to people that have just gone through some crazy, difficult circumstances in life. And when they got knocked down, they decided to get back up and to be unbeatable. On this episode, I'm going to introduce you to Jason McKenzie. I am so excited to tell you about this guy who grew up on motorcycles, who sells mountain bikes. He's just a regular dude like you or like me. And then he goes through some real tragedy. About a year ago, he made a courageous decision to put a video on social media that goes viral. What I want you to hear is a guy who learned by going through some tough stuff that there's no going around it. You're going to have to get on your bike and you're going to have to ride right through it. I'm super excited to introduce you to Jason McKenzie on this episode of Unbeatable. These stories of triumph over adversity will help you handle your toughest days in life. You're listening to Unbeatable with Jeff Struker. It means the world to me that you're... Um, with me today, man. Thanks for being with me to be in, yeah. being able to be in the studio with me today. Absolutely, man. I'm super excited about it. The more I've learned about you, the more I get fired up to uh, talk to you more. Come so, on, yeah. man. No, I'm serious. Come on, say some more. No. Um, so, uh, hey, I am an avid mountain biker. I have, uh, I found a mountain bike that I love. If I could spend time doing anything, it would be running the trails or on a mountain bike on the trails. And, um, you know a thing or two about bikes, having uh, not just spent a few days on a bike yourself, but running a bike shop. Uh, tell us how you got into selling bikes. Tell us about Ride On Bikes, what I think is the best bicycle shop in America. Awesome, man. I appreciate that. Our slogan is probably the best bike shop in the world. So that's our uh, humble side yes, of things. Probably, probably keeps <laughs> you from getting uh, sued, right? <laughs> that's right. Yeah, you know, it's funny, uh, my uncle and I, uh, when I was graduating high school, he bought me a bicycle and a Frisbee and told me to keep it simple. And it was just a very, it was a card that said, keep it simple. And it was a, a $400 Haro bicycle, a nice bike and a Frisbee. And he was just reminding me, when you go off to college, and you go do your thing, man, just keep it simple. Yeah. And that mentality of getting on a bicycle and just doing my thing, I, I rode BMX and that kind of thing. But the, the simplicity of a bicycle and what I can do to help people on a bicycle. When I get you out on the right bike, your whole life changes, you know, and that's, uh, it's super important. And I, you're spending more time with your family. You're getting healthier. And if you get it from me, it's fit proper and right. the quality of product is there. And I just know that with that bike, I can do so much with you. So, uh, my uncle and I, we had a, a idea back in 2003 to rent 30 bikes a day for $10 a day. And at 19 years old, that sounds like a great idea. You're like, <laughs> I am going to be a bajillionaire. <laughs> yeah. Didn't think about rent, weather, none of that. Right. <laughs> but here we are almost 19 years later, man, and it's turned into a lot more than just, you know, 30 rentals a day, of course. Yeah. You grew up on, on uh, BMX. Uh, I know you spend a lot of time, like you're uh, an accomplished um, motorcycle uh, or, you know, BMX guy. So yeah. when did BMX start for you? Uh, so I got my first dirt bike, as far as motorcycle goes, a Honda yeah. 50 when I was six years old. Uh, I really? dreamed about it my entire life. Every wishing wheel you can imagine, I threw a, a penny in and like wished for it. We moved back to Georgia from Florida. We had the property to do it for the first time. So that's where the motorcycle thing started. And then the BMX really didn't start. I always had a bicycle like a kid would. 
But I dreamed of a BMX bicycle, a Diamondback Viper from Cycle World in Albany, Georgia. And I really? saved and saved and saved. It was $200. It was Purple Illusion was the color. It was Listen perfect. to this. He even knows oh, the color, man. Dylan. Check this out. so well. And uh, my friend, I had a friend, Blake Mock. He was an incredible cyclist, uh, BMX rider at the time. He got me into racing. Next thing you know, we're racing BMX bikes and traveling around. And then I got into racing dirt bikes later on in life, but it's a, uh, you know, it's a real easy transition. When did you get into dirt bikes? How much, uh, how, how long have you been into dirt bikes? Cause you spent a, a time or two on them. Yeah. So, um, I was, my first one was six years old. I rode it and my mom would flash the light, tell me it was dark. And I just kept would ride. I'm not going to let up riding. You know, I would look the other direction. Like I didn't know she was telling me yeah. to come in. Um, so that's, you know, I'm 37 now. So 31 years of riding as many hours you can possibly imagine. My dad was super against racing, uh, so I couldn't do that till I was an adult. So I didn't start racing, actually, until I was well into my 20s. Why didn't he want you to race? Afraid you're going to break a, uh, let me see, uh, just fall off a bike and break, uh, shatter your arm? Is yeah, that why? Yeah, that would be weird if that happened. Yeah, um, and, you know, he was right, come to find out, because in my 20s, I've been hurt a lot. <laughs> I was about to say, uh, that wasn't a random statement, uh, like fall off a bike and shatter your arm and got the gnarly scar to prove it, right? Right, right, yeah. So scars are just tattoos of good experience. Yeah, <laughs> that's right. Those scars are just awesome stories to yeah. tell to your, to your family or to your friends. That's right. Hey, um, there's a part of this show that I try to do every episode. Don't get to it every time, but I like to have a little bit of fun with guests. Um, and when I was getting ready to, to sit down with you, I was thinking if you've been on a bike, you have fallen off of a bike. In fact, if you've ridden a dirt bike or a motorcycle, somebody has inevitably made this statement to you. There's only two kinds of riders, right? You know what they are. What are they, Jason? Those who fall and those who are about to fall. That's not, right. I haven't fallen yet. Those that are going to yeah. fall. Yeah, so <laughs> even on a bicycle, man, you, you literally teach people how to ride, in some cases, adults on how to ride a bicycle for the first time. That's right. And everybody's going to fall. So as I was thinking to myself, I have fallen on my dirt bike, on my my um, mountain bike so many times, I can't even begin, but I have some pretty spectacular, like if you had a cell phone and recorded this moment, you'd make a lot of money on the internet yeah. falls on my bike. <laughs> and I want to just list off like my top five most embarrassing and really the, the, the most ridiculous falls on my bike. But Jason, as I'm talking, I want you to think first second man of a, a fall or two where you're like I can't believe I just did that all right I got some <laughs> so I bought my wife a bike for uh a, you know kind of a hybrid bike for her birthday I was kind of we put it together well I had it put together I wanted it to be a surprise for her and after I gave it to her she was so happy we took it out it's in uh, I got it in the driveway I've got this really small driveway I mean like it takes you uh 20 steps to get from the driveway to the street. And I tell her, Hey, let me show you about the brakes. Cause it doesn't have the banana bike brakes where you push backwards <laughs> on the pedal and it stops. You got these brakes right here. I'm no exaggeration pedal twice, put the brakes on and do a head over right in the parking lot. <laughs> and she cannot stop laughing. Karma. How you can possibly go over the handlebars in less than a second on a bike. But I did it in the park or I mean not in the parking lot in our driveway um I fell in the middle of a trail but I didn't just fall in the middle of a trail I fell so spectacularly in the middle of the trail I was certain that I was going to shatter the frame on my bike and I was going to have to carry this thing miles back to the vehicle in pieces 
Um, and I, I was thinking to myself, I hope that nobody saw that because <laughs> that was so ugly and right. nothing there. Um, I'm, I'm on a mountain bike. I'm, I'm cruising along and I've got the clip ins, you know, and I'm trying to be a cool guy, but I, I, I slip out of the pedals and, um, I'm getting ready to, you know, be, be, be care- careful in case I have case I have to set the bike down. Don't realize that I haven't clipped back mm. in when I'm getting on the bike and that's so often <laughs> the foot comes off the pedal. And of course the pedal hits the back of my leg and I go head yeah. over on a trail. <laughs> and again, I'm thinking to myself, I know I look like the world's worst mountain biker. Um, I was tired and I was, uh, mountain biking out in South Georgia. And if you know anything about our part of the country, like Jason does, you know, that in the rain, the red Georgia clay becomes just, uh, caked into your wheels, into the hubs, into the spokes, into the, um, into the brakes. And I remember trying to take this trail through the woods of South Georgia on my mountain bike and the clay got so thick that I literally could not make the wheels move anymore. (laughs) I'm miles and miles away from my vehicle and I'm thinking I'm going to have to carry this 47 pound piece of clay back to the truck, throw it in the back, hose it off, but it's going to take me uh, five hours to get back to the, to the truck. I'm so far back. But this is a true story. You won't believe. Uh, you 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 can't imagine how f- how uh, funny this was at the time. But I was with a group of of um, of uh, European uh, soldiers and sailors and airmen. We were doing this big multinational um, kind of history tour um, through some of the major World War II battlefields, and we were together in Holland. And in order to get out to one of the battlefields, they rent, we, we all rented bikes and we rode bicycles out there. When we were coming back on this well-paved bike path, it was just picture perfect in Holland. A couple of us, and of course, I'm an American officer. I got this British officer next to me. We start pedaling faster. You know what how, oh, yeah. how this goes, Can't right? It, yeah. <laughs> it's this cruiser bike that's supposed to go about 12 miles an hour, and I've got this thing going about 47 miles an hour, trying to just show off, go as fast as I can. And sure enough, my foot comes off the pedal. The pedal clips the back of my leg. I go flying off of the, over the bike. And I mean, not just over the bike, but I go flying through the air. There is a huge amount of hang time. And when I hit the ground, I'm not exaggerating. I hit the ground face first and slid on my face. So now I spend like the next two weeks in Europe with road rash from my head to my chin and almost only from my head to my chin. And if you've ever seen the first Terminator movie, (laughs) I look like the Terminator when his face has fallen off for the next two weeks. And everybody is just so um, sincerely sorry for me. And I'm telling them, no, man, I actually, it feels totally fine. I just look like... I'm, I'm a, I'm, I'm an, uh, you know, a Halloween, uh, store. I'm, I'm a Halloween cat, uh, character. Yeah. <laughs> that for me is probably the most embarrassing fall of my life because it happened in front of all of these other guys and gals mm. and there was just no stopping it. And frankly, I was trying to show off right. um, and didn't want to be beat. <laughs> we can't help that. <laughs> so you've been down or two, a yeah, time or two, got a scar on the left arm or uh, to right. show for it. Tell me about one or two of those embarrassing falls that All you right. did, so, both motorcycle or bike, man. Uh, so that I never fall to anything really cool. You know, all the skydiving I've done, all the motorcycle racing, I get hurt screwing around. 
But I was in Monterey, California on my 30th birthday. And I was super worried about my 30th birthday for some reason. But then when I woke up, I was just very grateful I survived my 20s. <laughs> and I went mountain biking. I was out with Specialized, and we were out there ripping. And, man, I come off the side of a trail going way over my head, uh -huh. riding some bike. Because I saw the videos. They were doing it on this bike. I should be able to it do it. It looked cool, and yeah. I should be able to do what they did. And somehow or another, man, I slid down this trail, clipped in still, my entire left side of my body. And then it, the tires caught, and the bike oh, stood back up. No. And I never stopped pedaling. For real? For real life. You slide As sideways while you're still Down a, in. this, like, embankment almost. It went down to the next level of the trail, and I caught back up. But when I got to the bottom, like, there was a lot of people saying, but you didn't crash. Why are you bleeding so bad? So that was like an awkward situation that happened. So not as embarrassing as just like, what the heck just happened? Skin up pretty bad. Got some good scars from that one. Um, Surely when you got up, though, you were thinking somebody had to have got the video. Because no i got to see the I video see, on that. I don't even know what happened. Right. So that, that was a good one. I had a, a guy steal a bicycle from me one time. And I was going looking for him. From the shop. From the bike shop, yeah. And I was going looking for him. And um, I just saw him on the camera. He'd actually stolen, I'm sorry, that wasn't the bicycle. He stole some shoes is what it was. And I saw him on the cameras and I saw which direction he went. And you're like, so oh, I got this. I got on a bicycle, one of the rental bikes on the sidewalk. And this is a great lesson for everyone listening. <laughs> I didn't put a helmet on. And I know better because yeah. I've watched it a, a uh -huh. hundred times at least. And I called my girlfriend, said, I'm going to be late for dinner. I'm going to look for this guy. And I am right by the government center downtown. There's a uh -huh. generator and there's a cable that goes across the sidewalk. And I didn't see it. And I woke up in the hospital. Oh, no. Yep. Severe concussion. I uh, lost my pilot's license for nine weeks. Lost my driver's license for a month. Couldn't go to work for three weeks. Goodness. Yeah, that was a big one. And uh, the worst part about the whole story is the next day the police came in and they saw the camera. And they saw him, and he had a Ruthann's restaurant shirt uh -huh. on. Guess where he worked? <laughs> Ruthann's restaurant. I yeah. said, that's Keith. He works down at Ruthann's. They just went and arrested him. I didn't have to go look for him at all. <laughs> but that was, was a pretty embarrassing yeah, one. The vigilante on a bike. Here's the moral of that story. If you're going to be a vigilante on a bike, wear a helmet, wear right? Wear a helmet. That's all you got to yeah. do. It could have been simple. So I got a lot more, but I'll give you probably my most embarrassing one. Here it is. All right, so I'm teaching a uh, women's-only mountain bike clinic. Oh, I got a picture of this in my mind. You, the only dude in front of a whole bunch of women, mountain bikers. Right. And like, as we talked before, my adventure company is almost all women, but this was all women, mountain bikers. And I pull up to the front of them, clipped in. I said, hey, ladies. And I just don't unclip. <laughs> and I fell right in front of all the women, oh, the beginning no. of the mountain bike clinic. Yeah. And I said, we're going to start out with uh, talking about what not to do. And I didn't know, ah, how are you supposed to recover from that? And, like, I right. lost all my credibility immediately. Yep. Here I am on a bicycle that's worth more than the vehicle I yeah. drove. <laughs> and I fell in front of all these You're people. the ski instructor who shows up, stops, and falls that's over exactly. and just ruins the confidence <laughs> of everybody now. Yeah. That's probably the most embarrassing. Yeah. Hey, I don't I. Um, I've never really even told this story before, but I was driving back from work one day. There was a guy on the side of the road who was in really bad shape, and, and I was the first guy on the scene and haven't had a lot of um, uh, medical training in the military. I showed up, and he was on a bicycle wearing a helmet but wasn't paying attention, riding, ri riding on basically an interstate and rode into a stopped semi-truck headfirst and I showed up. I started doing some life-saving stuff on him. He was in really, really bad shape. I stayed with him until the ambulance got there. And I'm telling you this because if you're listening to this podcast today and you regularly ride without a helmet, put a helmet on. 
Not even a question, man. This guy had a helmet on, but the helmet was cracked and in pieces. And I stood there and did first aid on him literally until the EMS showed up. Um, I talked, they took him to a local hospital. I talked to the, the emergency crew of the hospital. He didn't make it. Um, and he didn't make it just because he had his head down and he was flying downhill in the, you know, in the, um, shoulder of the road on an interstate and didn't know that there was a semi truck stopped on the road or in the shoulder when he hit them head first. So you're a guy or a gal out there that regularly rides without a helmet. Look, I ride with a helmet. I always have a helmet on. Same. Just because I still see that guy, the, how how messed up that guy was, and think that could be me without a helmet. There's no chance. I mean, they've gotten so light and comfortable yeah. now. You forget you have it on sometimes. You know, yeah. it's not like the nerdy thing to do. You actually look more dumb by not wearing it than you do by wearing right. it. It's changed. Yeah, you know, so, it yeah. is. It's true. Um, talk about probably the best bike shop in the world. Yeah. Yeah. So, man, I'm, very, I'm so very grateful. Uh, Ride on Bikes has turned into something. It's uh, more of a vehicle for me than it is a business. You know, we're all in the people business, right? I just happen to deal with bicycles. And like I was saying earlier, I can affect your life so much with a bicycle. I got my degree in marketing so I could affect more people because I felt like I kind of like hit a ceiling. And I was like, man, I want to touch more people. So that's what my degree is in. So I was able to reach more. And the stories that Ride on Bikes is built around a concept of the non-elitist. Um, so you don't have to shave your legs. You don't have to buy a $10,000 bike. You don't have to be fit. You don't have to be a male or a white male for that matter. Cause that's, that was a big thing for a long yeah. time, right? Is it yeah. was a white male dominant sport? I don't care who you are. I don't care if you're homeless does not make a difference to me. You come in, you are treated exactly the same. You are a cyclist. And I, I want to instill that in my team and I want to instill that in our community. And that's what Ride on Bikes really stands for. You know, we're a 10,000 square foot shop. We have a smoothie and a juice bar in the shop, which is just yeah. phenomenal. Tim's running that, man. He does. He's so awesome. You know, it's, it's his shop now. And uh, I don't know. He just puts it a great quality product. We have an entire 2,500 square foot used bike shop in the basement um, that is really doing well. So you yeah. have an ability to trade your bike in or you have an ability to get a bike at a lower price than you would a brand new one. Uh, and then we are a specialized dealer, and uh, so Specialized is, a, is one of the best brands in the industry. I think it is the best. And we do electric bikes. We do the you know road bikes, cruisers, mountain bikes, anything you can think of. Bicycle, we fix them, we rent them, we sell them, we ride them. It's just everything you can think of in a bicycle shop could be. But I feel like it's more than a bike shop. Um, the family that we have created that runs it, man, I don't know how to explain it to you, but the it's um, – I can't wait to get to work every day. You know, David in the back, him and his wife, Kim, they work there. Salt of the earth. Their little girls are five and seven years old. They're a part of our team. Uh, Ian's an engineer, could work anywhere in the world. He works there. And you got Carlos, that's in his 60s, big wig that was over at Univision. He doesn't have to work. Right. And he comes in. He's the most interesting man in the world. Like, having that guy he on He is team, the Dos, Dos guy. He is the Dos Equis guy. Like, he's raced boats for Coca-Cola. Like, what? How is that possible? He's raced mountain bikes all over the world. Having him, my brother is my manager on the team, and he, it doesn't get any better than him. Right. You know, he's the nice brother or the cool brother. I've heard that a million times. You're the not-so-cool brother. That's right. Whatever. You know, somebody's got to call the rules around here. And then you got, you know, Mark downstairs, doesn't have to work, chooses to come be there. You know, we have Rita up front. She just got into school in, in Arizona. I'm going to miss her a whole bunch. Yeah. She leaves in January. But my point is, you know, Evan in the back that's been there since he was 15, 
you know, he's gone and left a couple times. Yeah. But there's something that happens with our team now is that there's zero undercurrent. You've been on a team with no oh, undercurrent. Oh, yeah. Oh, You've yeah. been on a team with undercurrent. You know, we've all been on those situations. We are all moving the same direction. And when one of us slips, the other one's right there. Yeah. And I don't, I don't know how to explain it to you, man, but it's uh, the gratefulness I have for the people that I'm around and the people who are getting the help. And then the customer base that shows up. It's like Cheers. You know, remember the show Cheers? People come there just to come to the bike shop. They don't need anything. They just sit in the little lounge area, you know, and they'll have their juice and chat with us. And I don't know. It's like the environment that's been created there where everyone's welcomed. It's, um, I, I don't know exactly how it happened, but I'm very proud of yeah. it. <laughs> yeah. Hey, you are a pretty accomplished businessman. I I, I won't go into the whole resume. Um, you, you know your way around a, a motorcycle and a, and a bicycle, obviously from this part of the episode, but um, you probably picked up by now that you fly, um, that Jason is a pilot and has a skydive or two under his belt. <laughs> Tell us a little bit about being in the air and being under parachute. Yeah, so um, I had an opportunity. Uh, Colonel Cummings, he, he thought I treated him different than every other customer. But the truth is, I treated him just like I do every right. other customer. But he felt differently. And he said, man, you always like, hook me up. Can, can you, I do something for you? I'm like, sure. He said, um, meet me out at the drop zone out at Fort Benning, you know, and bring a friend. So I brought uh, Angie DiMattia. She's, uh, she just got married last weekend, but she's just one Miss Colorado. Give you an idea. She's like six foot tall, uh -huh. beautiful. You know, so I brought her. It'd be fun to go skydive with, you know. So we went to the drop zone, and he took me up in a C-130. Really? And I was I got to do a tandem jump with the Silver Wings. Yeah. I didn't know how big the of a deal it was. The exhibition freefall team from Fort Benning, Georgia. That's right. Go yeah. for it. I didn't know how big a deal it was until my military friends were like, you got yeah. to jump out of what? Right. Yep. <laughs> Well, while I was there, uh, when I landed on the ground, man, I just you knew. You got the bug. I have to do you this. You got the bug. I have to do this. And um, so I traded out a triathlon sponsorship, one of the Silver Wings, for a skydiving sponsorship. So I bought him a bicycle. He bought me a parachute. And we just did this game back and forth, the training. Um, I ended up breaking my arm during that time. So I couldn't ride with him, but I got a Vespa, and I did motor pacing and taught him how to yeah. ride with a Vespa because I you know, yeah. got to hold up my end of the agreement. Right. And, uh, man, it was a phenomenal experience. You know, I, I got, um, jumped a lot. I got 109 jumps and, um, that's a lot. I jumped out of a hot air balloon and I lost, awesome. yeah, I lost my fear of skydiving after that. And that was it. Yeah. Because the hot air balloon, for those of you who don't know, it doesn't have a forward throw, which means you get the true sensation that, oh, no, I'm falling before you start to reach terminal velocity. Right? I have to show so you the video, too, because get that whole I found out stomach thing. You're, you're, uh, you don't have body control. Right. So whatever you're doing, leaving the parachute, I mean, leaving the balloon is what you do for the next 10 seconds. So if you think you're going to be cute and roll out like a scuba diver. <laughs> Maybe speaking <laughs> from experience here. Oh my goodness. Yeah. <laughs> so yeah, that was a, but I did a few more jumps after that and I'll jump with a friend here and there, but I just kind of lost my fear and I don't really uh, want to, you know, ever lose that. Yeah. So I, I just think that's how, if you start not respecting it, that's right when it'll bite you. So yeah, Jason, you um, have described free fall. I've, I've got a couple of free falls under my belt too. Won't talk about how many jumped out of a hot air balloon or two along the way. Um, I had a chance to jump master free fall operations for many years in the army. And usually when you jump out of an, uh, an airplane or a helicopter, uh, um, balloons don't do this, but there's 
forward drift of the aircraft, which gives you the sensation that you're kind of flying through the air the moment that you leave the aircraft, but not with a hot air balloon. So um, great story. I was jump mastering out of a helicopter. The whole team that was jump uh, that I was jump mastering for, we were jumping um, here on Fort Benning. And usually you tell the helicopter, okay, go up to a certain altitude. I want you to start to fly. I want you to pick up as much speed as you can, lower the back of the helicopter, and we're going to jump out the back or the sides. I was on the headset, which means nobody else jumping knew what was going on. And I called the pilot and I was like, okay, when you get us close, let me know, give me a thumbs up. And then I want you to go to a complete hover. And he said, are you serious? And I was like, yes, but I'm not going to tell anybody that we're going to go to a hover. So no one has really ever (laughs) experienced that true fallen, jumping off of a, off of a a diving board kind of, Oh, I'm falling through the air moment. And none of these guys know what to expect except for me. I put them all out and I watched and you could see their eyes become huge as saucers. They didn't know what was going on and why am I getting this sensation until they started to build up enough speed that they could start to fly, control their body and fly through the air. It was just one of the most precious moments. <laughs> <That's awesome. laughs> when I got to the ground, every one of those guys were ready to punch me in the face because yeah. <laughs> none of them knew what to expect. It was just beautiful. At 13,000 feet, you get the, the, get the feeling that I'm going to fall. Uh, I'm, I've just fallen off of something, and I'm going to hurt myself. Yeah. Um, you really are one of the most respected business guys in my community. And hey, by the way, if you're listening to this and you want to buy a bike, probably the best bike shop in the world is right on. So you just need to drive to Columbus, Georgia, if you live anywhere close by, or or give them a call and we'll figure out a way to get a bike to you no matter where you live. Right. That's right. Absolutely. Um, right on bikes, Columbus, Georgia, but you're as a man, not just as a businessman, but as a man, you're a really respected guy in our community. You're a respected business guy in our community because of the way that you treat people. And because you don't, uh, you took uh, biking and just made it accessible to everybody. Um, You've been through some hard times in life. You wouldn't be on Unbeatable if you hadn't gone through some hard times. And this whole podcast exists to just describe for people some difficult circumstances that another person's gone through and help people that are listening figure out how they can go through some hard times in life. So let's talk about this dream woman that you met. Let's talk about your marriage. Let's talk about how things were when you met and got married to Natalie before, spoiler alert, we'll describe what happens at the end of your marriage. But let's talk yeah. about the beginning of your marriage first. So I met Natalie in the bike shop. Uh, she had come in. She had a, like one of those moon boots on. It was an injury. And uh, five foot tall, blonde, absolutely gorgeous. She has uh, a smile. By now, you're probably picking up that gorgeous women spend a lot of time yeah. around Jason and vice versa. <laughs> yeah, she had that smile that, like, something happens. When somebody smiles at you like that, you've seen those people before. Uh-huh. You don't have to fall in love with them, but you're like, wow, man, what is that energy that's coming off of that girl? And she had hurt her ankle running, and she had to get into cycling, which, you know, being in a military town, we hear that all the time. I can't run anymore. I got to get into bikes. But man, and this oh darn, I got to get into bikes, right? Yeah, not like not super excited about it. Exactly. But man, so Natalie walks in and this is a customer I'm excited about helping. Yeah, because of that <laughs> smile, right? It helps. And uh so that's how we met just, you know, at the bike shop and uh come in and out a little bit and a little bit of flirting here and there and then I ended up talking her into going on a date. How old were you? How old was she when you guys first met? So that's a that's an important uh part of the the question. So I was uh 24. Mm-hmm. And she was 34. So 
Went for the oh, cougar. Yeah. You went for the older. The, he likes the older type. But neither one of us knew that. Yeah. I thought she was younger. She thought I was older. Uh, I've been able to grow this beard because since of I was the gray 15. in your beard. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so we, uh, I got her going on a bike ride with me, and uh, we were about eight miles out by Oxbow Meadows over there, where the Infantry Museum uh-huh. is. And we're on the way back, and uh, I was just barely behind her, and I said, um, "So how old are you anyway?" And she said, "34." And I was like. You know, and she's like, how old are you? And I was like, uh, 24. And here, Miss Innocent, perfect hair, calm, this and that. She slams on the brake. She goes, what? 24? I can't date you. What the hell is wrong with you? Why didn't you tell me that? And I was like, what are you? You're not going to ride back with me? She said, if I knew my way back, I wouldn't. And I talked to her. So we had eight miles to get back. And I just slowed the pace down. And we got to know each other a little bit better. And I talked her into going on another date. And then, you know, then we fell in love with each other, but it was, it didn't start out very good. Yeah. 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 <laughs> yeah. So yeah, she's a uh, 10 and a half years older than me. And, uh, you guys date a time or two, you guys fall for each other. Tell yeah. us a little bit so about, we went to step brothers as our first, our first date outside of a bike ride. Right. Yeah. So you remember that time period. So went to the theaters to watch that. And, uh, Slowly, man, Oxsons is a Korean restaurant in town. It's uh-huh. both of our favorite restaurant, which not many people know about. Like, it's man, this off is, the beaten path. Yeah, exactly, man. So it was kind of a things are starting to line up a little bit, you know. And man, all of a sudden, she she worked at Sonobis, a block away from my bike shop, and things just started lining up. And um, man, I knew soon, like it wasn't it wasn't a big question for me if I was supposed to be with her. Like I I wasn't really looking for anybody, but then when I met her, it was like nobody else mattered. Yeah, yeah. Um, and, uh, man, our, our time just got more and more like precious and I couldn't wait to spend time with her. And we started traveling and that was it, man. It was, um, about two and a half years into it before I asked her to marry me, but it was, uh, it was before that, that I knew it. Yeah. You know? What made you know, okay, she's the one, I mean, yeah, she's got an amazing smile, but yeah, she's an old lady. Well, it's, it's interesting <laughs> when I started thinking about, you know, when I, you're, it's, the older I get, and this sounds terrible, but when I'm thinking about my relationship, it, I don't really believe in this, like, love in the first sight. I don't really believe in that. But there are some check boxes, and I'm a business guy, so I go through these this process. Will she be good with children? Not even a question. She loves kids. That was one of her jobs as a nanny. You know, um, is it somebody, I mean, she loves to cook. She's good to me. She she looks at me differently. I don't have to worry about her going out and partying. Uh-huh. She treats me well. She's honest. It goes on and on. Like so, I start going through these things. I'm like, holy crap, man! She's she hitting all the check boxes. All the boxes. She's hitting all the boxes. This is the one. You know, it kind of caught me off guard, and I wasn't expecting to find somebody at 24. That wasn't my intentions. But when it happened, it wasn't really a question anymore. Um, so, you know, I was working at Ride on Bikes. I was just the manager at the time. And in, uh, it was December 18th of 2009, we hit a million dollars for the first time at the bike shop. Wow. So it was a really big nice. celebration, right? Yeah. That was a goal for me. And it was a financial goal. I also graduated from college that day. Same day. Same day. Holy smoke. Graduated, big day, right? Yep, 2009. Graduated college. It got even bigger. And I'm tying this back into Natalie, but the two owners of the bike shop at my graduation party called me up on the stage and offered me a third of the business. Cause I was just managing this entire time. I told you I started my uncle, yeah, but I was yeah. just his manager and they offered me a third of the business to stay. So I became an owner of a business, graduated college, hit a million dollars. Well, my mom's best friend gave me a week's vacation or it was a, it was a week, um, timeshare yeah. in Hawaii. 
yeah, y'all remember those timeshares and now everybody's unloaded those things as fast as they can. Exactly right. So I went to Hawaii um, and invited Natalie out and I had a ring with me. She actually, I let her pack it. That was a little tricky thing I did. I folded up in a bandana and she packed all my bandanas for me. <laughs> nice. And she packed her own ring in there. So uh asked her to marry me out there and it was a uh, pretty, you know, pretty special, man. Hey, for everybody who doesn't know, Dylan is in the studio. Dylan's the producer. Dylan, I hope you're taking notes. This is how you get a girl to say yes. Right this now. is impressive. Like, yeah. <laughs> Hawaii is pretty much a guarantee. If she's willing to go to Hawaii and you've got that stuff, that, you know, the, the, the uh, ring packed in the bandanas, you're, you're well on your way, man. Yeah. yeah, but the trick is, like, I work at a bicycle shop, so you have to get somebody to give you a trip yeah. to Hawaii. Yeah, it's not just going to Hawaii, <laughs> but a free trip to Hawaii. Yeah, everyone knew. Work. Everyone knew it was going to happen. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that's right. <laughs> hey, so you guys decide to get married, and you guys have a great marriage. It's not perfect. By the way, I just want to make sure everybody who's hearing this is not thinking he has the perfect marriage, because please, the perfect marriage doesn't exist. If you think that was the perfect marriage... It isn't because there isn't a perfect marriage, not mine, not his, not yours, but you had a good marriage. So talk about, talk about early on. Yeah, man. So it was awesome. Uh, She rode dirt bikes, you know, she had a little Yamaha 125. She's amazing. Yeah. yeah. (laughs) And uh, she was fearless on it, man. And and it was funny because I was like, look, you're in your mid thirties here. Like, what are you doing up here? Jumping stuff. But she uh, rode dirt bikes with us. She rode bicycles with us, man. She would come. It's kind of funny. She told everybody the first year of us dating was her coming to the bike shop and listening to Chris Brown radio <laughs> and, and doing inventory, yeah. you know, kind of give you a, a timeline yeah. of when that was. Cause I was so focused on building my business right. and that's what we did. You know, we would literally buy Papa John's pizza on Friday night and we would do inventory. Um, so, but it was a, a wow. Su- what a romantic man. Yeah. Well, it's funny. Cause it's like a supportive, you know, having somebody that supported me in my dreams yeah. and what I was doing was super important for me. Yeah. And she was from the corporate the corporate world. You know, she worked at Sonovas. Her dad was in banking. Her uncle was actually CEO of Total Systems at the time. She knows business and yeah. big business. Yeah, she understands it. And she also, but she supported me. And she, what she loved about me was that drive of pushing right. through. And then she, and she supported that, which is, is a big deal. You know, so um, that there was the, the marriage, like you said, nothing's perfect. But man, we, uh, we cooked meals together. There was a, uh, a thing that, we had, we were always happy to see each other. We never really lost that in our relationship. And, uh, we, you know, one of the downsides to, to the relationship we had is we were having a real hard time getting pregnant. Um, that was one of the things that we really yeah. wanted was children. Yeah. It wasn't lining up for us, which, yeah. you know, I talked to a lot of friends now that I'm 37 and I realized that's a very common thing, but oh, I yeah. didn't know that at yeah. the time. And so that was one of the battles. And I feel like it was, uh, it was weighing on us a little more than we wanted it to. And though, although I was trying to act like I'm, I'm completely cool yeah. with adopting whatever we got to do. There was something that was weighing on her as sure. well, you know. Yeah. Um, by now, anybody who knows you knows the next part of your story. But maybe you don't know Jason. You don't know his story. But you've already picked up on he's met Natalie. She is amazing. Literally checks all the boxes. Um, but Jason, you keep using past tense verbs. So let's talk about how things ended in your marriage. Um, you don't have to go through the whole last week or so, right. but let's just talk about the day that you come home and your life changes forever. Yep. So um, Natalie and I, we had, we'd had a, um, we'd had a disagreement, nothing major, you know, and I had decided to go to Albany to most where my parents are from. And I was going to go stay there for the night. 
it felt like it was a, a normal, like, I don't know, man, an argument you would think about, like, you know, I just, I need some space. And, um, so I, I went to Albany and stayed the night and, you know, I thought about it a lot and, uh, I called her the next morning and left her a voicemail. She didn't answer and just told her how much I loved her and that we were going to figure this out. And, um, it was, it wasn't that big a deal. It wasn't like this big falling out situation, but that was what I was going to do. And she didn't respond. And, um, my dad, which it, this is really weird. This is the last time I've done this. This is in 2011. My dad asked me to go golfing with him. I'm a terrible golfer. Terrible. So my dad, my best friend, my brother, we went golfing on a Friday. Nobody was at work for whatever reason. I don't know what the heck was going on. And we went golfing. And uh, she never called me back. I thought she was just mad at me, uh-huh. you know. And um, then my oldest brother asked me to go to Mexican with him that night to have dinner. I was like, all right, well, she's not calling me back. I'm going to let her cool off a little bit. Right. And uh, while I was at the Mexican restaurant, her dad called me. And her she's a daddy's girl big time. Yeah. And he lives down in Fort Lauderdale. And she's like, have you heard from Natalie today? And I was like, no, I haven't. You haven't either? She would answer his call 100%. Yeah. Yeah. And he goes, I haven't heard from her. And right then I was like, Oh no, something's, something's wrong. wrong. She's gotten sick. Something's wrong. And, uh, I started calling her and like back to back to back. I called her mother who lived in Columbus. I called her best friend. I was like, Hey, get over to Natalie's house. Something's up. I don't know what's something. Go over to her house. And, uh, on my drive back to uh, Columbus, um, I, you know, it's, it's interesting how things get foggy yeah. in a, in a, in the middle of a tragedy. But I remember looking down and I'd be running 130 miles an hour. And then I'll be running 15 miles an hour. Mm-hmm. I couldn't get it together, man. I was like all over the place mentally. And I would call Natalie. I would call her mom. I would call her best friend. I call her best friend's husband. And I was calling in a rotation. No one was answering. I was like, why are they not answering? And then finally her mom answered the phone and she said, hey, where are you? I said, I think I'm like 30 minutes out. Is everything okay? She said, we'll talk when you get here. And I was like, no, ma'am. You know what that means. We're, right. we're going to talk right that, now. Right. What's going on? And she said, she's gone. I was like, where'd she go? I mean, I, I was not yeah. tracking yet. I wasn't tracking. I didn't know what had happened. And she said she killed herself. And I said, you're lying. That didn't happen. It's not possible, you know. And uh, I hung the phone up. And now I'm really a basket case. But, man, I, I slide in. I get off my exit, and I get I pull up. And when I turn onto my street, the, the police, Everything the fire is, trucks, yeah. the ambulances, it's everywhere. And my yard is caution taped off and um i parked a few houses away because in my mind i wanted to see it because i didn't think it was real and uh, i ran through the yard and they saw me but i was already already made my line i'm I'm in at this point and right when i got to my front steps the door was open and i realized i didn't want to see it thank goodness yeah that i feel like god was looking out for me right he's like hey man don't do that you know and then um, there's a some there's some blurry time right. I don't know exactly what happened. Uh, I did crack my hand. I think I was hitting the ground. I think I kind of just freaked out. I don't really know exactly. But then the police came up and I was under arrest. And um, she had shot herself. And uh, they I have a I have a 38 pistol that's that's registered in my name. But I had it with me when I travel. I always carried it with me. And they kept telling me that my gun shot her and they knew it was me. And uh, it was it was really, it was a weird place because I felt responsible for what had happened, but I didn't do it. Yeah, because you just had this falling out. You right. left, you you know. I didn't answer the phone call when I should right. have called her too late. 
I, I could give you all the reasons why I feel like this is my fault, but I did not shoot her. You know what I mean? Like it, it was a, uh, and but I felt so responsible and so guilty for what had happened that I didn't, but I had to reel it in and like, all right, let's go through actually what happened. And, um, and they took me downtown and my cousin showed up thankfully and made them, uh, let me sit in the front of the car without handcuffs on. He forced the issue and they took me in and they, and they interviewed me like I had killed her. And, um, so not only are you in this position looking back at it now, it's like, man, not only did I just lose my wife and the way she did it, now I'm being accused of it. I can't even process what the hell is going on. Yeah. You know, uh, it was it was like a, a nightmare that you see on TV that it never happens to yeah. you or somebody you know. It was literally happening. It's the nightmare on top of the nightmare. I, I know people are hearing this right now and they're thinking to themselves, I, I can't even imagine what's going through your heart when you pull up. Your mother-in-law has already told you she's gone and you've got the police and the ambulance and, and the friends and family that are all close by. Thank God you didn't have to walk in the room and see what happened. Right. Um, but you're still reeling from that when you get arrested because you're the suspect because she used a gun and we know you've got a gun and uh, we think you did it. it. It's always the spouse. You know, that's always the first suspect. Yeah. And now more than I, un- I understand it more and I realize that's just protocol. Man, what a crappy protocol. Oh, man. What well, a terrible, terrible thing to for do parents to that lose a child too. I mean, they're gonna con- they're gonna not rule out foul play and not rule out that mom and dad did something yeah. that they're gonna try to cover up. So now you're arrested and don't even, I mean, not even able to grieve right now because you're trying to explain yourself right when you're not there and um, you know playing golf instead of uh, at home and things are starting to look suspicious. Yeah, it doesn't look good. Tell, uh, how, how did, uh, how long did that whole legal thing last hang so over your head that night? It was just, I mean, I think it was like three or four hours within that time period that night. And then they let me go. I was trying to find a hotel room because I can't go home. And there was like a graduation or something in town. You know how uh, the middle, and man, yeah, there's not so a hotel room, no anywhere. hotel rooms within miles. Yes. My uncle, um, he let me stay in his bedroom. Like I went to his house and then the next day, the police wanted to, to talk again. And my mom, when the, the coroner was there and all, and mom like was preparing me to be arrested. She's like, son, I don't know what's going to happen, but just know that this it doesn't look good from the outside. We're going to figure it out, whatever it is. We all know where you were uh-huh. and all these things, but the fact they're calling you back to the police station is not a good sign. And I got there, and we went through the interview process again. Oh my and goodness, uh, it was the third day. When I had gone back to my home and got into her car and found a receipt from Shooters. A gun store here in town. She had gone and bought at the gun. And um, then they had a video of her purchasing herself and the timeline. And it all, you know, lined up to show that I wasn't responsible for it. But it it was, you know, man, it's like you, I, I don't know how to explain it. Like you're defending yourself and you're trying to grieve and you're trying to plan a funeral because it, for some reason here in the States, we do funerals really super yeah, quick and yeah. like all the things are going on, man. It was, um, I, when I think back at it, I, it's, it's like a blurry. I feel like yeah. it, it happened like such a split second, but it was, uh, it was absolute nightmare. Yeah. I, one of the reasons you and I had coffee earlier this week, sat down and talked a little bit about your story. One of the reasons I really wanted you on this episode Jason is because of a video 
that you put on Instagram that, um, without exaggerating, really went viral. Um, and the video was after Natalie's death and, and quite some time after Natalie's death. But you were really courageous about this video. I, I watched the video and I was just blown away by how honest and how vulnerable and how real you were with that video. Um, so getting to that video, t- tell me about some of the, the, the challenges, some of the things that people kind of said to you or the, the really un- unhelpful things that they did thinking, I want to do something, but yeah. it, it, it really wasn't, it really wasn't good. It really wasn't helpful. And it didn't make things better. It, it didn't necessarily make them worse, but it certainly didn't make them better for you. Yeah, so, you know, one of the the things that I've learned the most, I've got a lot of lessons through this, and I'm still learning them. You know, we're uh, ten and a half years after now. And um, it was the day after she had died, and um, I was supposed to do a, a Earth Day event. You know, I do all kinds of, like, expos and stuff, whatever. And I forgot to go, obviously. It's the last thing on my mind. And the lady calls me to see where I'm at, and I answered the phone. And I apologize, and I said, "Listen, I'm sorry. My, you know, my, my wife just died um, yesterday, and I'm not coming." And she goes, "Oh my God, I'm so sorry. I know exactly how you feel. My grandfather passed of cancer last year." Okay, can we pause for just a second? Explain that one more time, because I want to make sure that people are hearing clearly what you're saying. They just compared your wife's death to say it again. Her grandfather that died of cancer the year before. And what's going through your mind when she said this to you on the phone? I, I know that she's trying to be helpful, but how insensitive and how ridiculous can you possibly, I mean, like, that's not the same. And what I, that moment, I vowed to myself, I will never say I know exactly how you feel. I don't care how similar the situation is. I don't know your background. I don't know how you feel. I don't know the situation you're in. I can try to relate to you the best I can, but I will never <laughs> say I know exactly how you feel. Yeah, and I didn't, I wasn't, I didn't say anything to her. I'm not mad at her. She was doing the best she could. Yeah, she, she was, was just trying to be sent, yes, uh, just it, trying to show was, compassion. Yeah, she was not being a nasty person. She wasn't. But golly, man. Your grandfather dying of cancer is not the same thing as losing a wife it's or not. losing a husband. It's not. It's not the same. Even if it was my grandfather, it, yeah. it's still not the same. Right. Like, just don't say that. <laughs> Very good piece of advice. Yeah. Just don't say, I know exactly how you feel, because no, you don't. You and don't. explain to them, Jason, why they don't know how you feel, and you don't know how they feel. You can't know. I mean, it's not possible. You know, it, it's it's like uh, even when I've had a lot of people over you know, the last 10 years come to me about their you know spouses or children committing suicide, and they think that I know how they feel even. But I can't know that. I don't know the circumstances around you. I don't know how I, I saw a really, it sounds like I'm getting off tangent, but I'm not the, I mean the other day and it was like a great Dane dog and then a Chihuahua and they, the Chihuahua was up to its neck in mud and the great Dane had mud on its ankles only. And the question said, how deep is the mud? It's neck deep to the Chihuahua and anybody else who can, li- who's yeah. listening can figure this out and it's ankle deep to the great Dane. Right. It's the same mud. But how are they experiencing it is completely right. different. I can't tell you how you're going to experience it. I don't know. I can do my best to relate to you. I can tell you the tools I use to get out of my situation, which is what we're here to do today. But I, I don't know your exact experience. Yeah. When I talk to people that have been to combat, when I talk to people who are trying to help somebody who's been to combat, 
they want to know what does it feel like? And I, I tell them essentially exactly what you just said. Like, I can't know, even though I've been to combat and maybe even been to very similar con combat, I wasn't with him or her. I wasn't right next to them. And even if I was right next to them, I may have experienced it very different than they did. So it's different trauma and loss and pain and that kind of uh, grief is different for everybody. Um, so I, I really want you to hear what Jason is describing right now. One, if you're trying to be helpful, one thing that's not helpful to say is I know how you feel because you don't. Yeah. So just say, I don't know how you feel, but I'm sorry. Or I don't know how you feel, but, uh, I really care for you or, yeah. or something else. Yeah, and I, I, I kind of dance around that I'm sorry, you know, because if something happens to you, yeah, I, I want to feel for you. And a lot of times I say, you know, I think about a lot, man. I overthink things a lot probably, but I'm like, I don't have the right words. But I am praying for you, and I do care for you, and I will do whatever I can to help you get on the other side of this. That's what I can offer. Yeah. It's all I can offer. I don't have anything else to offer you. I can pray as much as I can, and I can pray for strength and understanding and I think that works. That's my personal belief. That's what I believe in. And um, from there, there's really nothing else I can do. Yeah. You know? For the people that are struggling with, well, what do I say? Just be honest and say, I don't know what to say, but I do know that my heart goes out to you. I mean, that alone is enough. Yes. Or I'm praying for you or I'm sorry. Yeah. Um, I, I, I don't mind saying, I'm sorry that you're going through this or have gone through right. this. I didn't do it. It's not my fault, but I'm sorry that anybody has to go through this. You know, and one of my, the things that helped me, uh, is when somebody tells me a story about Natalie, you know what I mean? Like yeah, that's the things sure. that helped me. Not that you have to go do anything for me. It's not that, but when you remember her in a positive light and man, she was such an incredible woman, man, yeah. like she was so giving and the least selfish person you've ever met in your entire life. And it was, you know, like having my, the story when I posted that video, uh, the girl that she bought her wedding dress from sent me a message. I didn't know the story, never heard the story, but it was about her choosing her wedding dress. And then she bought another one and it got in. But she said that at all the brides she had ever worked with, that making sure that I liked it, her husband, that it was about me. It wasn't about her. She'd never dealt with that before. The salesperson. Wow. And like hearing that story, man, that you could not do anything more yeah. for me, you know? Yeah. And so I, I think if you're trying to do something for somebody that's had a loss, if you can keep things in a positive light, I think it's the best thing you can do. Okay. So Jason, your family cares about you. Your friends care deeply about you. You just lost your wife. And not only that, but you are a prime suspect for days and they want you to be okay, but you're not okay. And you and I were talking this week about, you know, how do you help your family know I'm not okay and it's okay that I'm not okay right now? Right. And I really want people to hear this because I want them to hear. I want really what I'm, I'm asking is, would you give people permission to not be okay after yeah. going through something like this? Yeah. You know, one thing that happens, my support group's amazing, man. I, I'm man, my mom, my uncle, you know, my dad passed last year, but still, man, the support that I have, my brother is incredible. Mm -hmm. My entire team. Awesome. Right you still feel like you're by yourself. Yeah. And I wasn't, I had all I had the support, all the support you can imagine. But in that moment of darkness, you feel like you're by yourself. And I feel like a lot of people listening can understand that because life is hard, man. None of us are an exception. And when we get to that spot, no matter what your support is, you feel alone. You feel like you're the only person in the world that's ever dealt with this. 
And exactly you are. I mean, if you look at exactly all the details, um, you know, and what it took a long time for me to understand this, but I think that you never get over something like this. Um, and you understand this more from a combat standpoint, but the way I try to explain it is if I lose my right arm, I never get over that. I learn to live with it. And I've learned to live with the scenario, the cards that I've been dealt, you know, and you can still live a great life without a right yeah. arm. Yeah. You can still have happiness. There's a lot of things you can do, but you don't really get over that. So I feel like that was a big key for me is understanding I don't have to get over this. And then with my family, and Jeff, I don't know if this is the right thing to tell people. I don't know. I'm just being honest with what I did. We're both figuring this out as we go along. So yeah, I, I don't ever want to give bad advice or anything. But what I did is I was, uh, my mom and my brother and my uncle were crushed for me. And I didn't want them to feel that way anymore. And I, I didn't have the strength to do it for myself. But I would do anything in the world for them. And I faked it, man. I, I pretended that um, I went on a date for the first time against everything. Uh, she'd actually lost, the girl had lost her husband in combat. And uh, we both had wedding bands hanging on our necklaces. That's how we met. And we decided we could go on a date together because if we completely lost our mind in the middle of the date, <laughs> yeah, we, we would, would know where the other one's coming and from. It went there. It didn't go any further, but it was a step for both of us. Like, all right, well, let's just do this. You know what I mean? And I told my mom I went on a date with a pretty girl, and she's like, oh, my God, this is amazing. And they, you know, whether – I don't know how she felt about it, but it was a, a thing that I had uh, – I was trying my best to move – not move on, not get over, not that. But, you know, life, life does keep moving, and that's guaranteed, <laughs> you know. And uh, I, I did that for them, and I would come back to work, and I stopped crying in front of everyone. And if I had one of those days where I couldn't get out of bed, I didn't go to work that day. And I just chose to, to deal with it that way. And I don't know if that's the right answer. I don't know if pretending and faking is the right answer. But I will tell you that the waves of the darkness have gotten further and further apart over the 10 years. I still have them, man. You know, Natalie's birthday is, is November 13th. And on November 13th, regardless if I'm thinking about it, it will be heavy on me. Yeah. Just you know? a couple of days uh, ago, you're, you're going to be thinking about Natalie. Right. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So it's a... Uh, Yes, I don't know if that's what you're well, asking I, me about necessarily. I, but You're telling people, I guess it's okay to fake it until you really are okay. If you're doing faking it for the right reasons, if you're faking it for the wrong reasons, just don't fake it. Don't it, fake it, yeah. It's okay to not be okay after something like that. Right. And your illustration of losing your arm is the probably the perfect way to describe this. If you lose your arm, you are always for the rest of your life going to be aware that that arm is not there. You can still figure out how to live but you're going to have to figure out how to live slightly different. Right. Um, and that's true of losing uh, somebody very close to you. And I, I just want people to, there's no such thing as an expert on a spouse that, that commits suicide, but you're as close as anybody I've ever met. So I want somebody to hear from you. It's okay to not be okay. And it's okay to not be okay for a while. Yeah, for a long time. Yeah, I don't think there's a timeline on it. And I don't, you know, I don't want you to think I went on a date like six weeks after it happened. It wasn't like that. It was just, you know, it was over, it was years, you know. I just didn't, I didn't feel like it was the right thing to do. You know, and, and looking at it now, my I have more of an understanding. I believe that Natalie wants me happy. Definitely. She, she wants me to find love. She wants me to have a family. 
I know that. Like, I know that in my heart. I, but it, it, there's a weird thing that happens, man. Somebody that's in a similar situation might, they, they, there's like a guiltiness. Like, yeah. like you're cheating or something. Because right. I had married her. It was it was forever. To death to us part. That was it. That was my that was my plan. I you know I didn't I didn't have a backup plan. You know there was no like well it might not work out. No, I was in for the full. So trying to change that mentality is like all right, well man, I don't have that. And uh, one thing we had not talked about, um, I had a, a guy help me one time. Uh, he said I want you to write down all of your dreams and all of your plans with Natalie. Okay, so I did. I wrote them all down, and um, I was having a real hard time. It was on the anniversary of her death. And there was a fire. And he said, ball that piece of paper up and throw it in that fire. What? He said, dude, that's over. You can't do that anymore. Yeah. That doesn't exist. There's no going back there. Not possible. You have to burn that. And we have to write a new set of goals for you and your life moving forward. Man, it was, it sounds simple. But I bet was, that was hard. Oh, man, it was such a difficult, uh, such a difficult thing to do physically but there was there was something that was um it needed to be done you know because i was still holding on to these yeah. dreams and these plans that i have with her that are not possible anymore yeah. and all that energy that i'm putting towards something that's not possible we got to focus on what we can do yeah and uh i'm very grateful for him because the him telling me that and him kind of forcing the issue he was a little bit of a jerk about it but i needed <laughs> that because i'm hard-headed you know yeah uh, that, that was a big deal for me. And now moving forward, those plans keep changing, right? I'm building on those plans that I wrote down that day for my, my life moving forward. Well, thank you for just being real and honest and saying it's okay to not be okay. But there's some healthy ways to grieve. There's some unhealthy ways to grieve. And I don't want to go uh, back to how this went for you. Um, but I just want you to go ahead and admit out loud to some people, hey, here's some things that are just not going to help. Why don't you just go ahead and list yeah. off a few of those things? Well, you know, I feel like that I had an opportunity um, at that point. I could have gone either direction I wanted to. I could have gone to the bar and I could have been drinking or I could have gone to drugs. I could have, there's a lot of things I could have done. And I feel like the majority of people would have accepted it. And they'd have been like, oh, man, that kid had potential until he lost his wife. And I think I would have almost had permission to do it. Now, I don't think my mom and my brother would have allowed it, but there would have been an understanding. You know, does that make sense? Like, Oh, yeah. There's an understanding like, oh, man, it, when it, everything was going strong. He had potential because I'm winning these awards, Young Entrepreneur of the Year and the 40 under 40. I'm winning these awards. I got potential. Things are moving. And then when that happened, man, he just, you know, he lost his mind and that was it. And you have that ability, and it's weird because I'm at, you're at a fork. When, when you're in that moment, you're at a fork, and you can make a decision. And I'm not saying I haven't made bad decisions along the sure. way. I got obsessed with exercise, and I got obsessed with – I got into CrossFit at the time. It was very good for me at the time. Um, physically, the best shape I'd ever been in my life. I lost 44 months – I'm sorry, 44 pounds in the first six months after Natalie died. Um, physically, I was healthy. Mentally, I was off. You know, I, I was just forcing the issue the best way I could um, to, just to keep moving yeah. forward and not yeah. go to the bar every night. Um, so that was a that was the healthy direction I was able to take. And I started racing motorcycles again. Mm -hmm. And um, it's interesting. In the video we talked about earlier, it, it alludes that when I'm on my motorcycle, I'm not thinking about anything else. 
not my business, not my family, not Natalie. At that moment, I'm thinking about the the second right in front of me on that trail, and nothing else matters. I get two to three hours, depending uh-huh. on the race, of a complete break from all my thoughts. Because, man, it, it loops in my brain, and, and, and I'm sure you've, you've experienced this. Most of us probably have, but I, I experience this loop of me replaying it, replaying yeah. it, replaying yeah. it, replaying it. I mean, it'll drive you insane. Oh, yeah. Zero sleep. There's nothing. I had bruises in my ears from wearing headphones oh, just to man. watch comedy because I didn't know what else to do. I was trying my best to kind of break the Make cycle. Make it go away, right? And the motorcycle allowed that. It, it just said, hey, man, if you don't pay attention to what you're doing, <laughs> you could get killed. You know, so that was, uh, again, I, I don't know if it's healthy necessarily, but it was the right It was the right spot yeah. for me. It was the right way to go for me. Yeah. Um, the reason why you're on this unbeatable podcast is because most people are going to go slightly crazy. And I mean, do something really stupid, maybe even destructive. Let's just be honest. When you survive suicide close to you, the risk for you now becomes much higher. We'll talk about that in just a second. But you just said something really powerful that I hope people don't miss. The difference between unbeatable and circumstances like you've gone through and those that let it beat them is you knew in the back of your mind, I could do something really self-destructive and people would not, uh, people would expect it because look what the guy's gone through. And we didn't want him to do that, and we wish you wouldn't have done that, but we totally understand why he's going through it. And let's yeah. just be honest, that get-out-of-jail-free card, will be it, it can be very tempting to go do something really stupid just because I, 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 need, to, I, I need to make the memories go away. Right. And you're hearing from a guy who says, I felt that and fought against it so that I didn't give in to that. Well, you know, Jeff, I think that I told you earlier, I don't have the strength to do it for myself. But what dawned on me is Natalie's pain that made her go through what she did. The pain that I I went through, the pain that her family went yeah. through, that my family, my family went through, all of our friends went through. Man, if I just go to the bar and drink it away, all that was wasted. Dude, that is not an option for me. I have to do something good with this. I have to, the, the platform you're giving me today to be able to talk about this is, is super important, man, because maybe this will change somebody. Maybe somebody will hear this and be inspired. And that means that the pain wasn't in vain. It wasn't right. wasted, you know? And so it's like, that. but that's the reason. I had to find something that was bigger than myself because I, I'm not, ah, I don't know. Yeah. Not, I don't really like me that much, you know, to be honest. Like, I, I feel like that, I have to find something else to, to, to fight for. And it was all of them that made it worth it to me. Jason, you're a motivational speaker. You know the stats. If, you, if someone close to you has killed themselves, now the temptation gets higher for you. Talk about that for just a sec. Yeah, you know, I've thought about this a lot. You know, I had never been around suicide before. This was my first experience around it, and I've researched it more because I don't understand it. Like, And I used to think it was the most selfish thing you could do until the least selfish person I know did it. Well, now it's different now. So it's not what I, what I had judged in my past. Yeah. It's not. And a lot of people will say that still, and that's your opinion. You can have your own opinion, but I'm telling you, you're wrong. <laughs> you know, <laughs> you can uh, have your opinion, yeah. but your opinion's wrong. Yeah. And it's, um, at, when I looked it up last, it was about 15%, right at 15% more likely for someone in a circle to commit suicide after somebody in their circle did. Yeah. And I think I understand it. Um, I can honestly sit here and tell you I have never contemplated c- killing myself. I have not. But because of Natalie, I have gone through the process in my mind of what she went through, and I've thought it through. 
that how did she do it and go through it? So all of a sudden that it becomes an option in your mind when I never, ever thought about it before. Now it's an option. And I can imagine in a dark moment or a chemical imbalance or something crazy happens yeah. that all of a sudden there's something in your mind. There's a possibility that I can see how that could right. lead into something. You know? Yeah. So if you're close to somebody who's killed themselves, you now have started to think about this as an out where maybe you've never thought about it before. And you're saying to yourself, I would never uh, take that uh, out because of what that person close to me, the pain that that caused me. But the truth is, it's in the back of your mind now because it's close to you. And I think it's good for the two of us right now to just say it out loud. Like, Hey, can we just admit if somebody close to you who has taken their own life, it's now in the back of your mind. Let's acknowledge that it's there and not act like it's not there. I think it's one of the biggest problems. It's the reason I made the video you're talking about, you know, I was at a birthday dinner um, for my uncle and I ended, I was at the end of the table with a lady. I got to talking to her. Like I do, like I got to talking to you the first time yeah. I met you. And she worked for a suicide hotline. And I said, well, you know, this sounds insensitive, but how's business? Like, you know, like, she's like, what do you mean? I was like, was it up or down? And this was November of 2020. She's like, are you serious right now? I was like, yeah. Yeah. She's like, calls are up 800%. Jeff, eight, eight hundred, eight times as many calls. 800%. And it, it was mind blowing for me. And I realized right then I was like, you know, it, Natalie died 10 years ago and I don't talk about it. The man right now, I got, I'm a little uncomfortable, honestly, having this conversation with you because I've never been this open about what happened that night. I've never talked about it. I've lost my wife and we just stopped Yeah, because it's like, it's not, it's not, what it's not polite dinner conversation. It's not man. And it makes people feel very uncomfortable and they won't think I want them to feel sorry for me. That's not what yeah. it's about. But what I've learned is if we don't talk about it, it's the reason that I didn't know Natalie was in was that, struggling. I didn't know she was struggling because it's not common. We don't we don't talk about it. I honestly didn't know, man. There was no letter. I don't really know exactly what happened. I don't know why, and it it haunts me, man. It absolutely haunts me, and I think about it all the time. I don't really know what went wrong that night, but I feel like that if we can have these conversations, and we can talk about the uncomfortable stuff like you and I are doing today, that maybe it can be a little more open and people can ask for help when they get in that mindset, because man, where I know she would never do anything to hurt me or my family or her family, she would have never done that. Yeah. She had no idea the effect it was going to yeah. have. But if we can have these conversations and we can talk about it the way it makes me feel, um, I think maybe it could help. Yeah. Man. I hope maybe another Natalie out there that's thinking about going out and buying a gun doesn't. Right. There's so much more life to live. You know, we have alluded to several times in the notes to this broadcast today, we're going to put your Instagram video you're on this show, Jason, because you're an amazing guy. But what really blew me away is you you made a video that you didn't have to make. And I watched this video. And frankly, I don't watch videos. I'm just going to tell you, I'm so busy that if you send me a link to a video and it's longer than about 35 seconds, I ain't going to watch it no matter what it is because I don't have time. Jason sent me a link. I saw how long it was. I started to watch it. I had every intention of clicking off of it and going on to the next important thing. And I found myself watching the entire video and I didn't even realize till it was over with. I just watched that whole video. And here's what I watched. I watched a guy who was very humble and very honest and very real with people. And he was trying to do something good. 
and maybe make sure that this never happens again. And I sat, there was a point in that video where I got to about two thirds of the way through it. And I was no longer thinking about Natalie. I was thinking about Jason. I was like, look at this guy, look at how open and how vulnerable he's being right now. And I was thinking, I was a little bit ashamed when I was watching that video. Like, I don't know that I would ever do what Jason is doing right now after going through what Jason has gone through. So why did you make the video, man? And what did you want the video to accomplish? And I really hope 2 million people watch this video. Man, you know, when I heard the lady's stats about suicide and I realized it's ramping up and, um, then I realized that I'm part of the problem. This is November of last year. November of 2020. Uh, I realized that I'm part of the problem because I'm not discussing it either. And I, I'm not allowing it to be common conversation. I'm not allowing people to be comfortable to come talk to me about it. And therefore, I'm not helping the solution. I went through all this, and Natalie went through all this, and my family went through all this pain, and I'm wasting it. You know, and... um that that's really where it stemmed from is I think we got, we can make a difference if we are, to, if we just start making it part of the conversation yeah. and I'm a normal guy, I work at a bicycle shop. I race motorcycles. You know, I'm, I'm, I'm just like everybody else you see sitting at the coffee shop in the morning. And you, you know, I, I put off this. If you look at my Instagram and my Facebook before that video, life is good, dude. I fly airplanes. I skydive. I race motorcycles. I've never had a bad day in my life. And I'm putting off something that's not real. And I think I'm actually increasing the problem. I'm making the problem worse. And people don't feel like they can ever be vulnerable. They don't think they can have a bad day. They don't think they can be upset. And they don't think they can talk about suicide. And um, so it was the 10-year anniversary when I released it. And uh, my great friend, Jonathan Giles with In Color, man, he did the video. I, I swear, man, he can take like a video of a coffee mug and make you cry somehow. I don't know how he does that. It's amazing. But he uh, he did that for me, man, and he tied it in. Um, and I, it the difference that it's made, I, I almost didn't release it. This is I haven't told you this yet either. This is a confession. I didn't release it till like nine fifteen at night. I watched it over and over and over, and I was like, man, I just I don't know if I want people. to Do see I this. want to put this out? Do I want to put this side of myself out there, right? And it sounds selfish when I say that to you, but it's like, man, I just wasn't sure, you know. And I finally, I posted it and I just closed the computer and went to bed. I was like, oh my God, man, what did I just do? You know, <laughs> there's no getting it back now because uh -uh, it's, it's on social media. It's in the world. And it went to Instagram and Facebook and YouTube. And, um, man, the response was overwhelming. People from all over the world. And what I wasn't prepared for is people that, you know, had called me that were, you know, having hard times or they had, they had lost someone or whatever. And they wanted to talk to somebody else they thought they could relate to. And the video, Jonathan did a good job of capturing who I am as a person. Yeah. And it allowed people to think they know me. And um, so, you know, with them, I have boundaries. There are boundaries. Everybody's got to have those. Sure. But I, mean, I was able to talk to a lot of people, and it reached a lot of people, and it got shared. I mean, I don't know how many times, man. It went, it was over 20,000 real quick. And I was like, holy smokes. Man, what did I go. just do yeah. to myself? Yeah. So, uh, and that's, I guess that's the reason behind the video. I just thought it could make a difference, and it did. But you made the video for a purpose. And what brings you on unbeatable is because you, you're hearing a guy who has just learned through this incredibly tragic circumstances. There's no way around it. Um, I want people to walk away from this episode hearing the same thing. Like I'm going through some, they're going through some tough stuff. Maybe not what you've gone through, 
definitely not like you've gone through it because nobody has. It's different for all of us. But I need you to hear from Jason what you're hearing from me. There's no way around it. You can try to fake it. And it's okay, honestly, to maybe fake it for a little while, but don't stay there. It's okay to even be not okay for a little while, but don't stay there. Let's just be honest. There's some really destructive things that you can do after having that kind of hurt. And everybody around you is going to expect that of you because, hey, a guy or a gal who's going through what they're going through, of course, they would go a little bit crazy for a while. Yeah. But you can't stay there either. And what, Jason, you're really telling people is when you're experiencing that kind of pain, there's no option. At the end of the day, you got to go through it. And what that video showed me is a guy standing up and just encouraging people, don't try to go around it because it doesn't work. You've got to go through it. You know, I, I, I did. I feel in every second of my life trying to not deal with it. And then you eventually you get slammed right in the face. you got to deal with it, you know. I think about it one way. So with the motorcycle racing we do is through trees. So it's through the woods, right? You know, 50 to 70 mile races through the woods. And I think an analogy that it helps me, and if I don't know if it'll help other people or not, but I think about when I'm riding my dirt bike, the skydiving's like this too. Yeah. When you, if you don't want to hit something, don't look at it. Because if you look at that tree, you're going to smack it. You get it. Fixed at it, fixated on it. So I picture like depression and that darkness as the trees. And they're around us. And if you focus on it, you will hit it and you will be there. You, it will stop you in your tracks. But the path in front of us, that's the future. That's what we're focusing on. That's what we need to keep working towards and keep going there and keep getting that way. Nothing behind us matters anymore. That's behind us. And don't focus on the darkest in the trees. They're there. Acknowledge them. I'm not saying you can't, you can't act like they don't exist or it'll get you as well. So that's the faking it, I think, right? If you act like yeah. no trees exist. Yeah. Well, okay, well. Well, you're going to smack into yeah. one when you realize <laughs> exactly. it, it exists. They're there. I, I acknowledge the trees there. I'm just not going to focus it. I'm not going to be in this place. I'm not going to sit in that moment. And when I think about that, it helps me. Because when I get into a dark place where I don't want to get out of bed in the morning, I'm like, dude, you're about, to, you're, you're about to smack a tree. Come on, man. Let's go. Yeah. Let's keep moving again, you know. Uh, Jason, you may not be aware of this. I'm a guy who loves quotes. Um, I'm a guy who studies leadership. One of my favorite leaders in American history was also ha had some famous quotes. Um, President Theodore Roosevelt. Did you know that he struggled with depression? I did. I love Theodore. Yeah, Roosevelt. <laughs> I'm a Theodore Roosevelt groupie. If he was alive today, I'd probably be the, f the president of the fan club. Roosevelt made a statement about how he handled depression. And I thought, this guy is brilliant. And what I've just heard from you is Roosevelt's statement almost exactly when you're struggling with the grief and letting that grief consume you. Here's Roosevelt's exact words. He called depression black care. Um, Winston Churchill referred to it as a dog that pursued him. And he's got this dog that's on the trail. Well, Roosevelt recognized I've got this black care, this depression that if I'm not careful, I'm going to fall into. And Roosevelt made this statement, black care rarely sits behind the rider whose pace is fast enough. Wow, so I've Roosevelt's quote was wow. basically, I'm going to ride the horse of life so fast that I can't get fixated on the trees. 
because the pace is so fast that there's no way that I could get fixated on the trees. And if you study Roosevelt's life, that man never slowed down. Do you know that after he left office and was no longer the president of the United States, he went and explored uncharted territory in, <laughs> in the Amazon jungle. Amazing. There is a river named after him because he almost died as an old man exploring uncharted waters in Rio Roosevelt in Brazil. But his philosophy in life is, I'm going to ride the pace of life so fast that I can't get fixated on the trees. And what, you're, what people are hearing from you today, they're just hearing from your firsthand account, is there's no going around it. you got to go through it. Now, you don't have to go through it by yourself. You don't have to go through it right away. But you, you can't go around it. Eventually, you're going to have to go through it. Man, um, I hope that people have learned a lot from this episode today. I am certain everybody who's watching this is saying, I got to see this video. Anybody who's listening to this podcast today is saying, where can I find this video? So I'm going to say it one more time. We will put a link to the Instagram video. It's it's available on YouTube. It uh, is. is it out there on YouTube it too? It's YouTube. Yeah. So we'll put the link to the Instagram and YouTube video. It's about nine, 11 minutes 11 long. 11 minutes long. Yeah. So I normally don't, just so you know, I usually don't watch 35 <laughs> seconds in and you had me hooked for all 11 minutes. Please, after you get done with this episode, stop what you're doing, go watch this video. It will blow you away by just how vulnerable and real Jason was. But what Jason is trying to do is just help people. Um, let's stop being, uh, let's stop uh, hiding this conversation and let's just get real and honest about it because the only way to get better is to go through it. Right. And thank you for being on this show today. Thanks for just being real. And I can't wait to, to jump out of the back of your airplane one of these days, or you and I yeah. are cruising through the um, through Standing Boy Park here on a mountain bike, going at uh, the lunatic, uh, you know, at a, at a <laughs> frantic pace and, um, with a helmet on. Right, of course, yeah. Jason, thanks for reminding us that all of us go through some challenges in life, and you have a choice. Are you going to get fixated on the trees and eventually run into them? Or are you just going to keep going down the path of life and not stare at the trees? You guys, if you're listening to this podcast for the first time, let me tell you how you can find us on social media. You can basically search pretty much anywhere. Just search for at Unbeatable Podcast on all of our social media channels. Or even better, if you want to stay in regular touch with us, if you want to hear what's coming up or a little bit more about what we just talked about, you can join the Unbeatable Army email list. Just go to unbeatablearmy.com. Thanks for joining us. See you right back here next week.